As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land Plus, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to America's Most Haunted. This is Modern Housewife Radio. And I am here with my partner, Eric Olson. And our very special guest this evening is Stephen A. Lachance. And if you don't know who Stephen Lachance is, where have you been? Stephen is a writer, a broadcaster, speaker, producer, and director. His foray into the paranormal came unexpectedly after moving his family into a haunted house. And this set him off on a journey to discover more and help others who face similar circumstances. Stephen refers to himself as a haunted survivor. And once you hear the story of the Union Screaming House, I think you will agree. Welcome, Stephen. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Well, this is really great. I am very familiar with your story because I've uh, I've followed your work for several years, but there are some people who have not heard your story. Now, if anybody listened to our uh, episode with your son, Elliot, and Shannon Lusk, the historian, um, they know a little bit about it because Elliot gave us his perspective of it. But let's start there. Um, let's start. Tell us a little bit about what happened at that house and how this set you off on the journey that you are on that took you into the paranormal world? Well, we, we moved into a haunted house in, um, it was May 18th of 2001. I remember the exact date we moved in. Um, shortly after moving in, things started happening to us. Um, uh, pictures wouldn't hang on the walls. I would come home and find all the lights on in the house for no reason, even after I turned them all off. Um, I'm going to do it really, really short because there's so much to it. Um, the kids started seeing things. Uh, as a matter of fact, Elliot was the, the one that was being affected more than anyone at first. Um, every time that he was out of arm's reach, I would find him screaming and terrified. Uh, you know, at first I didn't think it was, you know, I thought it was the proverbial monster under the stairs, you know, the basement thing, the closet monster. I mean, we all go through that as kids, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and I, you know, and in our case, um, I had been divorced, and I was a single father, so I thought, well, maybe some of this stuff is starting to come up. Well, my daughter started um, complaining about her closet door opening and closing and boxes moving around upstairs and hearing voices and such. 
Um, so she ended up um, coming downstairs with us. Um, and shortly after that, um, I used to go out of town, oh gosh, uh, probably a couple times a month And when I would go out of town. I was a corporate trainer at the time. When I would go out of town, um, I would sit down with the kids and we would play a game. On this one particular night, we were playing Monopoly. Um, they were getting the board ready, and I, I was sitting in the living room, and I could see into the family room, and I could see the kitchen doorway. And when I looked up in the kitchen doorway, there was a black, smoky figure of a man standing there. Um, I looked down, and I thought, well, you know, this is something I'm just seeing, you know. Mm -hmm. um, I looked back up, and not only was it still there, but it moved into the family room, and it kind of dissipated. Uh, at that point, I decided, well, we needed to get out for a little while so I could think about what I just went through. Um, it was an old house, so you had to put the key in the front door and turn turn it on the outside of the door. Um, so when I put the key in, the house started screaming. It was wow. scream. It was loud. It was think of somebody being tortured. It was that sort of thing, um, you know. So. I went out of town, and while I was out of town, I talked myself into going back in. Shortly after going back in, it locked the kids into a bedroom, wouldn't let me in to get to them um, at all. <laughs> uh, by the time I did get into the room, uh, I got the boys running out the front door, and by the time I got to my daughter, she was in shock, and I carried her out of the house in shock with something on my heels, by the way. Oh, my um, God. I mean, that's... It's got to be absolutely terrifying. And remember, this is like the super short version of mm -hmm. all the events that happened. Um, Eric, I don't know if you happen to be able to catch the episode that covered this on um, A Haunting. They did a, a, a Stephen's story. And, of course, and even Elliot said it, did, it barely scratched the surface of what happened. But um, that episode called Fear House, was one of the scariest episodes of that show, and what it, it was absolutely terrifying. And what happened after Stephen left was it didn't stop, did it? I mean, that no. house remained stigmatized. It, right. it had stuff going on, right? Right. Well, the house, the house had come to find out there was. I moved into the town haunted house and didn't know it because <laughs> there were numerous families before us and numerous families after us. People moved in and out pretty quick, um, you know. And the thing is, too, is you know, I I, I left the house with something. It, it kind of attached to me, um, you know. And the nightmares had begun, and all of that was going on. And, and the nightmares continued until 2004, when I was introduced to the woman, a woman that was living in the house currently, um, and she asked me if I would help her find help. Now, at this point, I was already, you know, helping people because it's funny. People hear that you've gone through something and they're going through something and they reach out to you. So, I mean, people were already reaching out to me looking for help. So um, I couldn't really turn her down even though it was my same haunting, which um, in hindsight, it was probably not the best thing to do. Um, but I went back into the house and we tried to figure it out uh, with disastrous results, by the way. It doesn't always go the way you want it to. Hi, Stephen. Eric Olson here. That is the Hi, longest period of time I have ever been quiet. In his life. In, his in life. the history of the world. Yeah, to, uh, to answer your question, yes, I have seen that episode. It is really qu qu quite terrifying. And, uh, you know, it's, I mean, 
you reach a certain level of of activity and and kind of the density of it, and you just think, how can this be real? I, I mean, right. so for you to have gone through that, I mean, it just must have been mind boggling. I mean, it, it hit you in every way, emotionally, psychologically, physically, and then meanwhile, of course, you're you're probably ultimately your greatest concern is the kids. Right. You know, and it, that's the thing. You know, it's it's at one point I found myself struggling to, you know, keep my family together, keep another family together that I had become close with that was living through the same thing. Um, my friends that were, you know, at that point, you know, I had a, an investigative group, so they're falling apart. Um, and I was just in the middle of this, I, I, this, this whirlwind of activity that was going on. And it was, um, I think that was the most disturbing part of it is, you know, seeing everybody fall apart around me. Well, I'll tell you what, I, we we have plenty of people out there who want to know how the heck all this was resolved, if in fact it was. Well, the thing is, is it never really got resolved. In our in our case, we, we managed to get away. Um, uh, well, I can tell you what happened. Uh, the woman that lived there, she went through what some people call a possession. Um, you know, she ended up on my doorstep on Halloween of 2005. Um, and she was screaming and yelling, pounding on my front door. Uh, I went to answer the door, and when I looked down, I had two cats, and the two cats were hissing at the front door, and I didn't open the door, and it's a good thing I didn't because she had a gun, and she was there to shoot me in the head, and then she was going to go home and hang herself in the basement of the house. That's so. got to be terrifying. Does she? Did she recall this afterwards? Was she aware of what was happening? Or no, she doesn't. You know, there's very little that she recalls. One of the things is that when they go through this, is they go through series of blackouts. As a matter of fact, I, I didn't know I was going through blackouts at the same point. Um, you don't remember what you do, uh, where you go. You know, um, there, there's there's things that she just doesn't recall, and that's one of them. As a matter of fact. Um, she remembers waking up in the car outside the front of the house and us um, talking her, because we, we were talking her down from suicide at that point. Oh, my God. That's and, and to think what would happen not only to you but to the children had anything happened to you or if this woman knowingly or not knowingly was possessed or affected by what was happening and then gets into the children, gets back in the house. This mm-hmm. this type of haunting is not the run-of-the-mill, everyday haunted house. This is not something that seems to happen all the time, but it seems that there's such a gap between um, the type of things that I normally <laughs> go out and investigate, which are strange noises, strange sounds, mm-hmm. maybe things moving, you know, it, very minor things, and, and something like this where people are affected and people's lives are literally in danger. Mm-hmm. And um, is and like you said, you were reaching out to others who seemed to be affected by something like this, and it's almost like you find each other like magnets. And this is is this how this really drew you into uh, forming a life in the paranormal besides just finding answers for yourself, but to help others knowing that they were affected by this? Well, I think that's good that you said finding answers for yourself. I think that's number one. I think, you know, anybody that would say that they're not into this to find answers for themselves is probably lying to you. (laughs) (laughs) You know, and then, you know, the other part was is to help families that were going through the same thing, in particular children. Um, 
to see my seeing my children go through what they went through um to be a parent how could you not you know what i mean right um, you just you you have to you have to wonder how many children that i deal with you know um with nightmares and different sorts of things going on um that are don't fit into the normal box of everyday life and even the children that, or the parents even, that just refuse to believe that it's anything paranormal. I mean, who knows how much of this goes unreported or undiscovered because people just absolutely refuse to believe any sort of unnatural cause for this. Some, you know, they, they may medicate the kids. They might mm, think it's a, sure. a, an illness or something. I mean, it's quite frightening. And I know, like, when you're saying when your kids started <laughs> – when Elliot started telling me what was going on in the house. And, and I'm a paranormal investigator. When my kids mm-hmm. tell me things like that, I'm like, yeah, right, and blow it off. And, you know, you just you just want to brush it off at first. But then when you realize, at least I would feel, that if I realize, oh, my gosh, I've been telling them there's nothing to worry about, and there's plenty to worry about. I mean, the, the, the guilt, whether how small it would be for me as a mother, and I'm Catholic, so it would really, like, devastate me. I know that uh, your kids came out of it okay. Yeah, I went uh, we, through the guilt too, though, you know, because there was, when we went back into the house after the one incident when it screamed at us, I, I assured them everything was going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that sticks with me. Yeah. Um, you know, because everything wasn't okay. You know, I mean, uh, to be in the house the night, the last night we were there was incredible what went on. Um, I just gave you a, a, a brief synopsis. I mean, what went on was was pretty terrifying. The door slammed shut. I couldn't get through the door. I was throwing my body against the door. I could hear my daughter screaming on the other side of the door. And oh. uh, it just it's 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 something you you don't forget. You know, as a matter of fact, tonight, you know, when I knew I had to do this show, I I had to take a deep breath because I have such a new life now that mm-hmm. it's you know going back there a little bit is kind of hard. What are some of the ramifications? Uh, It was very telling when you said, well, you know, it isn't really resolved. There isn't really a resolution to it. What what are the current ramifications for for you and your family and for the woman? You said the woman who got it from you Mm -hmm. is still in that house? No, she's gone. She's out of there. Um, She's um, now divorced and uh, lives on her own. Um, For us, uh, the thing was is... um, since I've left there, I, I now live in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. I moved here about a month ago. Um, since I've gotten here, things have changed quite considerably. I mean, uh, it's not the same as it was. Um, there's not, there's hardly any activity. I would say there's no activity in this location where we're living now, which when we were still living in Union, there was activity all the time. Um, as a matter of fact, it just got to the point where we just got used to it, you know. And that was wrong, too. I mean, you should not accept that kind of thing in your life, you know. You, you, you need to find a resolution to it somehow. And I guess my resolution was packing up and moving across the country. It, but that's a normal reaction, though. I mean, that just seems like, you know, it's a flight or fright. flight I would probably take off, too. But now, um, did you find it cathartic when you started to think, well, I need to write this down, and and your book, The Uninvited, uh, when you started writing that, did that help you work through some of these issues that 
you had dealing with everything. And like we said, this is nothing, folks. You you got to get the book. You got to hear the whole story. But did that did that help you, or like you said, you had you had to take a deep breath just to come on the show and drudge this up again and talk about it? Those was were very it, uh, dark good... days when I was writing the book. I mean, they they were pretty dark days um, because. Uh, I don't want to use the word, but, you know, you kind of deal with your own demons at that point when you're writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially the way I wrote that book. I wrote that book as I was having a conversation with my reader. Um, Christopher Booth, by the way, of the Booth Brothers, is the one that talked me into writing the book. The book. Um, he saw it as a way that it was, um, first of all, he had seen a haunting, and he thought, well, the real story needed to be told, which, you know, was true. Um, but I think he saw that it would do me some good to sit down and just pour it into pour it into something. Um, writing is extremely, extremely cathartic. Mm-hmm. I can imagine. And you're now working on your 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 next book, uh, which I can't wait to read. Uh, Blessed are the wicked, and this is a continuation, or a, it, does it delve a little bit deeper? Or? What does it cover? This it's this. a little bit of both. It's a little bit of both. A lot of times, people think that when you put when you walk away from a haunted house and then you close that door, um, that things are over with. In this case, things weren't over with. It, it continued. Um, it continued to affect all of us that were were that participated in it and were around. Um, and I think I thought it was important to tell that story. Um, mm-hmm. You know, plus th- there was some things that, uh, well, one of the family members came forward for, you know, the the land was built, the, the house was built on the land of a Civil War soldier. Um, he was a captain, and one in the uh, one of the family members came forward with his story. Um, so I, you know, which is the, really the reason for the haunting. I, I really firmly believe it. And so I thought it was important to tell that as well. Um, so yeah, it's it's kind of a it's kind of a mixed bag that can book you, is. Can you tell us some of that story? I, I, yeah, I, I've, I've been I've been kind of chomping at the bit to say. So what do you think causes <laughs> all this? Well, he um, his just really really briefly. There's a lot to it, but his wife um, uh, he, he had an affair with one of the slaves and became pregnant, and then she had the child with you know and. Um, by having the child, obviously, you know, he was he was the head of a morals committee. He was the head of the town. Um, he owned more than half of the town at that point. Um, you know, so he actually, um, I know you guys saw a haunting, so you saw the baby in the tree. Mm-hmm. Um, so he killed the baby, and then he killed her. And then he lined up all the male slaves, and he shot them. Uh, well, that's one way to handle it. Yeah. Holy cow! Well, that probably was uh, not not the ideal method. So, so you think the the result of that are the people he killed are involved, or is it him, think, or is it know, both? I think. Well, you know, I think both. I think you know. Anytime, and I found this in research during the years. You know, you look at some place like Waverly. We were, you know, you mentioned before. Um, the show started, you know, those those type of events, those horrific, horrific events, scar a place. They scar the land. Um, and I think in this case it was just one of those things that uh, that, that negative and emotional response caused this haunting. And I think it's continuing today because of it. Sounds like that may be one of, uh, one of those houses that perhaps should be torn down. Absolutely. 
Absolutely, I agree with you. As a matter of fact, the um, psychologist, actually psychiatrist we had working um, on the case with us from, uh, he was from St. John's in St. Louis, the big hospital there. Uh, he says that he wishes the house would be burned down. What do you think would happen in that case? Because I've heard this before, and, and it's been done, and it's been suggested as a way to resolve a haunting Um to burn it down, and that would obviously prevent anybody from moving into the property or the residence. But but what happens? What is your theory on what happens to the spirits? What happens to those that energy, those ghosts or or whatever it is? Where do they go then? I think in this case, I think in this case, you know, even if you were to burn it down, they wouldn't go anywhere. I think it's so entrenched into this land that it's not going anywhere. Um, so I, I don't, I, you know, the only thing that I think that would solve is that we wouldn't have a house there, and people wouldn't be moving into that house with their small children. Yeah, that would be the resolution. Is um, is this something that I mean? It sounds to me like this is screaming out for exorcism. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, the thing is, is we got we were we were on the road to have that happen. As a matter of fact. Um, Father Ricardo Reese was um he's one of the uh the Vatican's exorcists, um, was coming to town, he actually did come to town. Um, but at that point things had got too out of hand, um, and there was no going back at that point. Um so he helped us personally, but he didn't wasn't able to help the land at all, no. Wow. Well that that is an out of hand situation, my goodness. I guess you'd have to bring in a whole team of exorcists, an <laughs> army of exorcists. Yeah, but you know the thing is, is if you know, um, I know one person that 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 would be there in a heartbeat if he could get in there to take care of it would be um, John Zaffis. Um, we've had that talk before because John actually helped with the case and he helped um, talk me through it through tremendous nightmares, um, and I know that he he would be one of the first ones to to step up to the forefront and say, let's go take care of this place. Do you think there's an object involved? No, I don't think. <laughs> good question. I don't think there's <laughs> an object involved. Um, I think he would have to go back to um, uh, more of his roots of his um, his uncle. The the demonology work? Yes, sir. That's, you know, they, uh, some people don't, don't realize that before John Staffis was uh, collecting things, he was involved in a lot of these really severe hauntings that that you've heard of, and, and some that are are pretty well known. And this the, doing it, to live through one of them, to be involved in one like you were involved with, it, for most people, for me probably would be enough. I would probably be like, I don't know, I've been into the paranormal for all my life, but that might be the one thing that makes me say this isn't for me. I'm turning away. But with you, Stephen, and people like John and a few other people, this was actually a turning point in your life, and you you basically made a career out of it. I mean, you went from corporate trainer to now. Tell us what you're doing now. I mean, how has this affected your 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 job and your future and what you do now for a living? Well, how can you how can you turn away from people that are screaming for help? You know, well, yeah. That's- that's the thing, you know. It's like yeah, I would probably no bury my head in the sand. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, and and but a lot of people, believe it or not, a lot of people wouldn't. A lot of people would say, "I'm going to take care of me," and this is too much. And I think that it's great that you do help because a lot I of people. I have my like, moments. 
they're there to help, but they are really there for for their own reasons. Which, right, but I have my moments. I mean, there's those there, there's those moments when I say this is enough. Mm. Um, it, it's funny though because it's like as soon as I say that, I'm reminded of why I'm doing what I'm doing. You know, um, as soon as I feel like I'm going to walk away. Uh, there's something comes up, whether and usually it involves a child. In, in, as a matter of fact, I started to do that um, recently, and I, I had a, a case with the child land in my lap. So, I mean, it's like it's it kind of keeps you there too, in a way. It's kind of strange. Um, you can't really walk away from it. I think if you if I really would try to walk away from it, I might be in a little bit of trouble. Um, it's almost like you you've got that bullseye painted on your back now. So you got to be careful. I I would hope at least that maybe there is an an element of a therapy in helping others for you, kind of a physician heal thyself kind of situation. Exactly, mm-hmm. and, and that's what I said when you know when we first started talking about that that part of it was I you know anybody that tells you that they're not doing a certain amount of this for themselves is probably lying to you. Um, you know, and the thing is, is I keep out, re- you, you keep out reaching to those that have been through similar experience too. Um, you know, and I, I have a, a great group of friends and most of them have been through these sort of things. It's kind of like the haunted AA, um, <laughs> but, you know, but it's true. And I mean, you know, and, and I think that's where we find our support is we hold each other up. But who did you go to at first? Who was the first person you turned to when, I mean, this wasn't something that you knew about, was it? When you Lorraine were, Warren. Lorraine Warren. Did you know know her by reputation? Did you have to look her up? I mean, Well, sure. I mean, it's like I think everybody, you know, whether you're in the paranormal or not, at that point, you know, um, you know, in, in that was in the early 2000s, I mean, knew that the Warrens took care of this type of thing. I mean, um, at that point, for years before, I mean, you turn on your TV once every other year, and they'd have a a movie on portraying the Warrens, you know. Um, so I think you know that's why I knew to go there. Um, and Lorraine did. I mean, she she helped as much as she could. As a matter of fact, um, the first priest that came in was um, under Lorraine's um, uh, urging. Um, we, it was a funny story because we went and found the priest. And the priest was just like in the show. He was scared to death. Um, he, he did a couple blessings here and there. You know, he didn't do a full blessing, you know, um, like it should have been done, which Lorraine went through the whole process with us afterwards and told us what, what he did wrong. Um, but uh, he left the house um, pretty quickly. As a matter of fact. Bless um, his house. I need a drink. Yeah. <laughs> he got out of there pretty fast. And what was funny is it started pounding upstairs as soon as he left to let us know it didn't work and so we called Lorraine and we told we told Lorraine about it and Lorraine goes well honey you didn't get the right priest Uh and I was like oh my gosh it's like we're in a small town I don't know how many more priests I can find but (laughs) she was a lot of help yeah as a matter of fact Lorraine was the first person that said that said when it was over um that it's never quite over uh, you know, and I didn't understand what that meant when she said it, uh, but I kind of, I kind of understand that now. It's never quite over. That's got to be just terrifying. I mean, just to to hear that after going through everything you're going through, it's true. I mean, obviously, it's true, and you probably knew in your heart 
that it wasn't over and it wasn't resolved completely. Um, and I That's think that what I were... loved about Lorraine, though. She she um, she put it out there. She mm-hmm. did it in a sweet way. Um, she's kind of like your great aunt, but you know she she's to the point. I mean, she she doesn't she doesn't play games with you. I mean, she lets you know. And John's the same way. Um, he he you know says it like it is. I mean, uh, there was one night that I was bruised and beaten. I mean, I was bleeding. I'd been scratched um, by the woman who. Um, went over the deep end um and i was on the phone because i was talking to john and i was telling i was packing up my my stuff and getting my kids out of town you know and john was like well no you can't go anywhere right now because if you do it's just going to follow you know um you know but that's the thing you know they 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 were both there with the that kind of advice when you needed it and they didn't play games which i always appreciated um, they didn't skirt around issues. They were straightforward and to the point. Do, are any of these kind of physical, kind of common physical, you know, remedies, quote unquote, um, of, of sage and salt and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, all the all the various things that you hear about and see on, see on the various shows and whatnot? Do they have? Any meaning in this kind of a situation? Is it just simply a case of the 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 um, entities being too strong, or or what? What's that relationship? You know, I think you know, holy water it works, the sage works, you know, the salt works. But you know, the thing is, is and I've given this a lot of thought through the years, and I think it's the intent behind those things. Um, it, it makes that intent real. It brings that intent into something solid. And I think that that's what does it. I really do. Um, hmm. it's, it's, that's very interesting. Yeah, I really, and you know, and I think you know, you you probably have that power within yourself, um, but you just need this this tool to bring this power out in you, maybe. Um, you know, to you know, and that's really, I mean, when you look at a cross, what is that a reminder of? That is to remind you of, you know, um, religious aspects and stuff. And I, I think these things. Are, are not much different in that way. I, that's probably why when people get a priest to come in, and uh, like I said before, I'm Catholic, and it's it, you don't always find a Catholic priest that will uh, uh, believe in this stuff, let mm-hmm. alone participate in it. But when you call a priest in to do a blessing um, on a property that you may think is haunted, and they don't really believe that there's anything there, the blessing is going to be ineffective. Anything they do is going to be ineffective, and, mm-hmm. ha- and and possibly I've seen it makes things worse sometimes. I think that the intent, like you said, the cross, the holy water, the salt, the sage, it's like a talisman, and the power that it has, mm-hmm. the power that you believe it has. And, um, and unfortunately, I think that the fear sometimes overrides. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Whatever power that the talisman may have. And I think that's why sometimes these things don't always work. You know, and that's the thing. You know, it's 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 a lot more than fear. I can't. I can't. It's it's such an emotional bag that you're going through, and that people go through with this. That you know, it, it feeds it this negative energy. It feeds us this this negative stuff that comes off of you. Um, and that's the thing. Is first of all, you have to learn how to turn everything negative to a positive. In, in that sense, um, you really have to try to change your mindset from the fight and flight mode to, you know, to the survival mode. I think that's why, you know, instead of um, being the victim, that's why you, you that switch hits. And that's why we're, we're trying to trigger within the families where they become no longer the victim, they become the survivor. And I think that's really, really important to do with them. And it's, it's sometimes very difficult and sometimes impossible. Um, it's an uphill battle all the way. How many cases do you or have you or do you currently do? What? Oh how does gosh. that work? I, I deal with at least ten a week. Oh my! Uh, yeah, you know it's sometimes more, sometimes a little less, but ten's a really good number of you know of people that I'm talking to, people I'm finding help um, in severe cases. So the severe, severe, you know, I will go out and be there. Um, so I, you know, yeah, it's quite a few. You would be surprised. Um, and then you have the media thing right now that's feeding things too. Um, so you have to watch that a little bit. But yeah, it's about an average, about ten a week. So what? So what? Can maybe walk us through a, a typical case? What? How would? How does it proceed? How does it well, come in? The, the what first, do you do? Well, the first thing is is to. Um, is to uh, sit down and, and get the story. I always get the story beforehand um, and then have them write down every single thing that's happened to them. Um, and then I sit down and discuss it with them. There's a lot of talking that goes on uh, before in reaction, you know, um, and then you, 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 you obviously are, you put your investigator hat on at some point and you start investigating it where you're wanting proof of what is there. Um, generally, you know, when I walk into a location, it doesn't take long to get proof. Um, they, they generally, if something is actually there, it will, it will show itself within the time that I'm there. Um, but, you know, and then we take it from there, whether it needs a blessing, we, whether we need to get clergy involved or from whatever road we need to take. Most of the time it's um, just putting people at ease, letting them know that, the, you know, in most cases they're usually benign. Um, you know, maybe residual, um, and it's not going to harm them. But in the other cases, we will get clergy. I, there was this one case we did, you guys might like this story, um, where the, the, the little boy in this family was being affected. I mean, we even had video of this little boy 
um, you know, the covers being pulled back away from him and him waking up screaming. Um, it's really disturbing video, so we went and we did the case. Uh, in that case, I had um, a Baptist minister with me, and I had a, a, a Eucharist minister from the church with me as well, and they were doing the blessing while I was talking to the parents downstairs in the um, dining room. Uh, as they came by with the holy water doing the blessing, uh, the, 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 the husband and wife were just as normal as they could believe be. As they came by doing with the holy water doing the blessing, the father turned to me and goes, I hate the smell of holy water. Oh. <laughs> I was like, um, who's your clergy? Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, it was it was instantly. We thought it was the little boy that was the target, and actually all along it was the father. Um, so, I mean, you know, you're always thrown. It seems Whoa. like the last second is when that final piece falls in, you know, and you, you, you're there to save the day, right? But um, in most cases it works. Um but sometimes it doesn't. I mean, sometimes we just have to walk away. Um, people just aren't ready to take the medicine because, uh, you, you know, you have to kind of change the life that you're living. Uh, you participate in your haunting in some ways, uh, mm -hmm. and that's the hardest part for people to grasp um, when you tell them that they're, they're, they, they got themselves to this point in their participation. And I'm not talking about religious things or spiritual things. You know, I'm talking about, you know, um, usually we find in the severe cases of hauntings there's some type of dysfunction going on within the family. I could give you an example of my family, you know. Um, my wife had deserted us, left me alone with three children. I was at the lowest point in my life. My sister died. You know, all of this kind of dysfunction is, is building this negative energy up. And so when we hit that haunted house, I mean, it was like an explosion going off. Um you find that with families a lot, that there's something else going on there. So you have to kind of target that, and you have to get them to own up, so to speak, to where they, they, they are participating in it all. Um, and then it's a matter of changing your life and your mindset. We see that all the time in paranormal investigating, when uh, there's turmoil in the family or there's been some sort of major disaster, whether it be an emotional or financial or some sort of trouble in the waters, and then all of a sudden there's all this paranormal activity happening. We had a case years ago with uh, this family, and it was a it was a brand-new house. They were, it was a condo. It was a beautiful condo, and uh, a young family, and there were probably six people living in the house. Uh, one was an infant. He was maybe two, and from up to, like, the grandparents, a brand new house, and we couldn't figure it out because there was nothing on the property. We researched the property. We 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 couldn't find anything. We couldn't figure it out. And these everyone who lived in the house, except for one person who wasn't related to the family, was swearing up and down the place was haunted. Well, it it took a while. We were probably three or four hours into the investigation, and after several interviews and just trying to figure out what the problem was we realized that it wasn't the house that was haunted. It wasn't the property that was haunted. Everyone in the family was psychic. They were all sensitive, and they were just picking up on spirits. And what we, and that's when I learned to do a little more research and prepare more when I went into an investigation because had I asked this question before we went in, I would have had more information. It seemed that every single house they ever lived in was haunted, and even when the girl went away to college in England, her dorm room was haunted. So it, it just some people are more sensitive to it, 
And so there was no haunting. They just happened to see spirits wherever they went. And then some people, because maybe they're sensitive, attract spirits that uh, might be in the area. But we find that people, like you said, when, when they're at a low point, it's it's almost like your armor is down and it makes you more vulnerable. And, I mean, there's a lot of theories on that, and I can't prove it, but that's what I believe. And I think that that's what happens. You're Not that you're inviting it in, but you're just, the circumstances are right, where it, it's like, you know, you're, you're the negative energy is attracting more negative energy, but, you know. Well, your defenses are down. I mean, right. kind of like anything, it's 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 certainly analogous to the physical world. I mean, if you're in a war, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. if 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 you lower your guard, if your defenses are down, if if your if your troops uh, are do not have uh, good morale, you know, that's why they say things like, you know, uh, an army. Uh, uh, lives on its uh, stomach, you know. I mean, if they're not, if they're not in the right frame of mind, then you are vulnerable. Stephen, I'm wondering, uh, do you consider yourself at this point to be a sensitive? Um, I, you know, the thing is, is I've been asked that question before, and I don't know. I, I, I really don't. I don't think so. Um, the thing is, is I when I go into a, a location, I can tell it's haunted. I think it's just like. Um, because I've experienced it, it's like a, a child when they learn what hot and cold water is. This is what hot feels like. This is what cold feels like. I know what hot and cold feel like now. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. You know, and I think it's because I've lived through such an extreme event and for in such an elongated event that um, when I walk into these places, it's very easy for me to pick up on those feelings. Is that sensitive or is that just I've been trained to feel it? I think I've just been trained to feel it. That is a very interesting and actually profound question, isn't it? You know, mm-hmm. I mean, actually, I think today, literally, Teresa joined. A, we're in a Facebook group. I just sort of stumbled into it. I think because we, uh, I think it came about because we interviewed Amy Allen, who's who is certainly a sensitive, and she. Um, so they found uh, the group found us, but they are sensitives and empaths and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's some other interesting terminology in there. Very interesting group. Uh, but one of the things that, that I've learned and have seen them, heard them talk about, I guess, read. <laughs> it's funny that we think in terms of of, uh, of hearing when it's it's just reading. But uh, anyway, is that there there is a lot of training involved, or there can be a lot of training involved, and that that everyone has some degree of sensitivity. That, that that this is just another sense that that all or most people have, and some people and and you have it's a, it's on a sliding scale, it's on a continuum. You have it to a greater or lesser extent, but then to whatever degree you do have it, that can then be developed. And I know in my own case, I I I have kind of no idea what I really am either, but I do know that I had a number of experiences when I was young. And I got to a certain point where I'm kind of thinking retroactive, thinking, looking backwards now, I think I got to a point somewhere around my late teens, maybe 20, where I said, you know, I just don't want to deal with this stuff anymore. Mm -hmm. And I kind of shut it off. Because I haven't really have had anything that I can recall anyway, nothing like I had had before, since then, and and that's been uh, it's been a lot of years actually, and so I think there's been that 
that uh, that interest uh, has been there kind of laying dormant within me uh, all these years because I did have some experiences when I was younger. But uh, there were several times when I wasn't even really necessarily feeling anything in particular, but I felt really powerful fear. And, and I, I, did, I don't like that. You know, who likes to be afraid? I think you know when you when you start talking about the fear. I think that that is definitely something that we all feel. Um, you know, there's that gut instinct. Uh, you know, you've heard people go with your gut before. Um, I think there, you know, again, there's that fight or flight. You know, it's like if if you're not following, how many times have you really felt that you shouldn't do something in your gut and you went ahead and did it, and you shouldn't have done it. You know, I, I think that's part of it. I think it's, it's never wrong, is it? <laughs> no, it's it's one of those things. Unfortunately, you know, um, it never really is, is it? You know, and I think that you know is that sensitive, or is that just uh, a, a physiological response that we have as human beings? I don't know, <laughs> but it, it sure is interesting. And that that intersection of all these things that seems mm-hmm. to me like that's where the action is. You know, right. the the intersection between just kind of physiological things. Uh, if, if there is in fact, which I think there is, a sixth sense. That, I mean, that mm-hmm. to me just makes sense. It's just something we haven't figured out how right. to how to study it yet, or, or how to identify it yet. You know, mm-hmm. you see it. Uh, they're finding the deeper they go into all the quantum physics and whatnot, you know, some of that is just so strange, you know, entanglement, quantum entanglement. How can particles be connected to each other on opposite ends of the universe? You know, how can that be? We just, we don't understand that yet. So that uh, hauntings, quote unquote, or or spirits or, or spiritual entities certainly really aren't any, at least intellectually, stranger than that. You know, that's so weird. For me, what I'm kind of gathering is there are different elements to this. I think for sure there there are aspects that are energy-related, and they're just – we don't yet know how to come to terms with, how to measure, how to deal with that energy. And then – but, you know, for me, in my mind anyway, there, there are other elements too. For me, there's certainly a, some form of religious component. I, I suppose anyone with a religious background, it would be very difficult not to read right. a religious component into it. It's, it's very difficult not to because um, you're dealing with spirit, you know. Uh, for those of us with the religious background, you know, uh, we deal with the Holy Spirit all the time. So I mean, you know, that that that's that seeps in. Um but you know, in, in my job it's kind of I kinda of have to step back from that a little bit. Um because I deal with people from all kinds of faith. Um, you know, uh I, I dealt with a, a a little boy in Saudi Arabia. Now, you know, that's a different total faith than anything that I've ever dealt with. Um where, you know, he was being um uh, affected by what they call a jinn. Um, right. So, you know, the thing is, is, you know, um, you kind of have to take your baggage and put it aside sometimes um, because you're dealing with people that aren't that don't necessarily have the same belief system you do. Uh, and if you try to force your belief system onto them to take care of a haunting, it usually blows up in your face. 
As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Now, Stephen, speaking of children, uh, you 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 obviously are very involved in in activity that could affect children because you've seen it happen to your own children, and this story is fascinating. We probably talk all night just about this the gin and this little boy in another country. Um, but uh, when you finally moved past what happened at the Union House and got more into it, you mentioned the Booth brothers. And uh, you have worked with them, and I remember this is probably one of the not one of the first times that I remember uh, seeing Children of the Grave, which probably the most disturbing paranormal documentary I've ever seen. Um, it was just the saddest, saddest thing. Um, how was your involvement? How did you get involved with the Boop Brothers? And tell us a little bit about uh, your involvement with that documentary. Well, um, it was actually Zombie Road came about after after the Union haunting. Um, everybody had been beat up. We were pretty much, you know, tired. Um, we were pretty much non paranormal plus at that point. Um, so I had this bright idea that we would go to an urban legend and prove it wrong. Um, and I had heard about this urban legend of Zombie Road and the things that happened there. Uh, it's supposed to be the most haunted road out there. And, um, so we went to prove the urban legend wrong. And so I figured it was going to be a walk through Poo's 100-acre wood, and it turned into the Blair Witch Project pretty quickly on it. Uh, I mean, you know, so uh, the Booth brothers had seen a picture that was taken by Tom Halstead of, of the shadow children of Zombie Road. Um, they came to us because they were like, we want to go, we want to go to where this picture was taken and we want to capture these things. And, um, so that's how we started to work, um, on, on Children of the Grave was the zombie road thing. And obviously we added the Pythian Caspel and Whispers Estates onto that as well. But, um, zombie road, I have to tell you, um, I think it's that, that was, um, something that really changed us. Um, because you have this feeling that um, there was no way we could help these things, um, because they were you were out in the middle of the woods. There were so many of them, um, and I think we all walked out. And as a matter of fact, I know we did. I've heard Christopher talk about it recently. Um, when we walked out of the road that night, we were all very, very quiet um, because we realized that there was no way we could help um, the things that were at Zombie Road. Um, which, if you haven't ever seen it, um, at 3 a.m. in the morning, we're down in Zombie Road, and these shadow children, they're about four feet high, start stepping out from behind the trees, and they pretty much surround us. We're talking about 20 or more. I'm, I'm looking at the picture right now, and it, it's it's 
it's make it's terrifying me. Just mm-hmm. I remember the documentary, but I, as we're sitting here talking, I went and looked up that picture, and it, it's so frightening. I mean, it 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 seems fake because mm-hmm. it's just so frightening and so scary to think that it's real. If but I was talking the- to Shannon just not long ago, and she said that that the place mm-hmm. terrified her when she went down there, yeah. and, and and you know this is coming from somebody I know and I trust, and it's. It is scary. Uh, if Eric, you look at the water there, you'll see that the, the children don't reflect in the water. Oh, you yeah. got to see this picture, Eric. I'm going to have to send it to you because it's uh, it's really, really frightening. But, but even is it on your site, the, Stephen? Which, by the way, um, no, I we don't should refer to. But, we should uh, refer people to your site, by the way. <laughs> we should, people to my site. We should step aside for a moment and say, incidentally, all the various products uh, that we are referring to, books, films, video, etc., etc., including a cool bio and uh, pictures, everything you need to know. Video, there's all kinds of stuff there. It's an excellent site. I am looking at it right now. And Thank that you. is com. Just as you might expect, but don't forget that A, and it's a Stephen with a V, StephenALachance.com. Everyone should go check that out. You can pick up the books, the films, etc. via his site. Having said that, uh, this picture where now where is this? Where where physically where are we talking about that this occurred? Zombie Roads in in Glencoe, Missouri. It's um about maybe twenty minutes west of um, St. Louis. Wow. Why do you think Missouri has all these issues? I don't know. I don't know. That's, you know, I, it, it's, Missouri is just a really messed up place, folks. I don't know what else to tell you. Um, <laughs> you know, and it seemed like if it, you know, and you know the first Exorcist case, you know, the, the, the one that the film The Exorcism was based on came out of Missouri, too. Um, if, for those of you that haven't seen the Booth Brothers Haunted Boy, you need to see that. Um, because um, Missouri's just messed up. I, I don't know what else to say. I wonder seriously if there's if it has anything to do with what a cultural potpourri it is. It, you know, really was it was the gateway to the West. You have uh, elements of the South, but it isn't. You know, it's it's definitely a border state. Um, there there's very sophisticated aspects. You have the you know the big the biggest of the big cities in St. Louis. Um, you have mountains. You got you know. You have you have a real blending of all different kinds of people and worldviews. Not that you don't have that other places, but I wonder if that has anything to do with it. I don't know, but if you ever figure it out, I'm sure that there's a lot of people in Missouri would like to know because there's a lot of strange things that go on there. Um, I you know, as a matter of fact, uh, Philip Booth um, ended up moving to St. Clair, Missouri. So um, you know, Spook TV is kind of um, coming out of Missouri at this point, so there's a reason for it. To be closer to what was happening, he moved. Well, he he moved to Missouri because they they were shooting in Missouri constantly. Oh. Um you know it's you know, and he he actually he fell in love with Missouri too oh. um, when he was there. It's a beautiful place to live. Mm. Well, uh, apparently that no one wants to leave even after they die. 
Uh, <laughs> yeah, well, I, I left. I, I'm, I'm happy with the beach. I live about two blocks <laughs> off the beach now with my pool in my backyard. I'll now. tell you what, your situation sounds infinitely <laughs> better to me than, uh, than having my house scream at me and, you know, lock yeah. my children in, behind uh, closed doors. And... It was a long time coming, let's put it that way. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, you, you're due for a little rest and relaxation. Back to I just a quick question. When you're talking about your 10 cases a week, does that mean – you're visiting ten people a week. Well, it's no, not always visiting, um, because a lot of times, you know, cases can be solved by just talking to people. Okay. Um, no, but it's I'm dealing with at least ten different people that are have things going you're, on. I mean, them. a big part of that, really, you're a therapist. I mean, you really are. I'm kind of like a haunted therapist. Sure, I, I, I'll give you that. I mean, there it's the talking cure as part of it, because like well, like we were saying, you got to bolster these people. You know, for those that are, you know, what what do they use in rehab? They use they reuse um, uh, recovering alcoholics and drug addicts in rehab. I guess you could you could kind of use that comparison. Sure. Well, well you're you're, you're bolstering them. You know, you're building them up. I mean, if if dysfunction is a key part of this, or often is, uh, I would think you have to address the dysfunction at least on some level. Yeah. You know, and the thing is, is we do work with psychologists, psychiatrists. We do have medical professionals that we can refer people to as well. Because um, I have a, a three, three-pronged approach to any investigation, which is the medical has to be ruled out, the psychological has to be ruled out, and what you have left is paranormal. Mm. What uh, – What is next for you? Uh, Besides working on all these cases, I know you've just moved. The book is coming out. um, And, and again, folks, we have only scratched the surface of what Stephen Lachance has done and is doing. Uh, We could do a three-hour show just on on your experiences, um, which would be great. But um, tonight we don't have three hours. But what what is your project that you're working on, on now besides the book, Blessed Are the Wicked? What other projects are you working on immediately that people could look forward to seeing or, or reading well, or hearing the, or watching? The thing is we're still working on Monstrum, um, which is a case in Oklahoma uh, where we're going to look at shapeshifters um, and, and uh, Native American um, beliefs and legends and uh, how those things um, – are very real to them and how in many cases they're very real in reality. Um, so legend and reality kind of a mixture there. And then uh, one of the other films, and I'm, the most the most excited thing I'm about other than the book right now is a, is a project I'm working on in, uh, where I'm going to be shooting in uh, outside of L.A., um, in, a, in a, a portion of L.A. where a lot of the gang violence happened uh, in the late 80s, early 90s. Um, and it left such a, an emotional tear there uh, that, uh, you know, we're going to be looking at the hauntings, obviously, the paranormal aspect, uh, but how all this negative energy affects and keeps these communities down. Um, and we're going to be actually be talking to gang members, and uh, we're going to be talking to people that live there and, and how they experience <laughs> things. Um, as a matter of fact, one of the locations we have there is um, an alleyway that I that I, I've seen footage of, and you know I know somebody out there that's doing a lot of the pre work for me. Um, that is is just as scary as anything you saw on Zombie Road. Um, so 
uh, we're going to tell the the stories of the dark, gritty stories. Like of one of the stories we're talking about is the drug dealer horse, and how he was drugged behind a cop car and murdered um, by the police, actually. Uh, and then and then his girlfriend went into her closet and overdosed on heroin in her bedroom. Uh, we're actually going to go into that bedroom. Um, you know, and the thing about this is, is it's not an exploitation of everything that happened. It is, it is going in, in, in looking at how these things affect you and how you better be careful what you do in this life because it's going to affect you in the afterlife and those you love. And I think that's the most important message I could put out there right now. Uh, that there's got to be nothing scarier than not only a ghost but a gang member ghost. Mm-hmm. I lived in L.A. in the 80s. And I left shortly after uh, the Rodney King verdict riots. In fact, my son, who's now uh, a, a grown adult, was born the day of the riots. And I was driving home from a hospital in Burbank behind a tank, and everything was on fire. And that city, it was like it, it was like Armageddon. It was literally like the end of the world. And the violence there just becomes part of every day. I mean, there were, the gang violence in the 80s was so bad there. I remember it was part of everyday living. Uh, the apartment that I lived in, there were gang members that lived there, and when I and I didn't know this, and when I went to rent it, the landlord told me that I could only have a room on the second floor because the bullets were less likely to hit me mm-hmm. and my child. And this is just something, and this is all I could afford in L.A., and I had a good job, so... It, it's scary. I think that it's important this this uh, this documentary you're doing um, about the gang violence because I don't think people realize that. Again, we're talking about the negative energy just feeding and growing and continuing year after year. Uh, that'll be a very interesting project, and we'd love to have you back on when that's done. We'll talk about that some more as well. And it's called Dark City, California. So Dark City, California. Well, we'll be sure to look for it and uh, keep us updated on that. That. It's definitely something that uh, I would like to explore, having lived there a little bit and experienced a little bit of that myself. How fascinating, Stephen! What a what a as we were saying uh, before we went on the air, you are you are a Renaissance man. You have your hand in all kinds of interesting things, and how amazing that this uh, you know what would appear from the outside to be such a uh, a negative turn of events in your life. You've you have turned into lemonade by golly <laughs> and you're to be admired for that it's amazing really fascinating i've I've really learned a lot made me kinds of things and uh boy great job Teresa. he said you'll like this guy you will learn a lot and it really is amazing we want to make sure that everyone checks out our facebook page which is simply am haunted on facebook Similarly, on Twitter, please follow us, A.M. Haunted. And once again, you should check out Stephen Lachance's site. It's S-T-E-V-E-N-A-L-A-C-H-A-N-C-E dot com. Everything we've been talking about is available there. The books, the films, video, all kinds of super cool stuff. And, uh, gosh, another great show. Really have enjoyed it. Really admire uh, how you have uh, uh, taken this this turn of events head on and turned it into something positive and, and that you are now helping other people. And I think that's uh, extremely admirable. 
Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Stephen, having you on, and uh, thank you so much. Uh, sorry we had a little technical difficulty when we first tried to interview you. Um, and Elliot shared our, the story as well. It was really nice to hear from him. And, again, absolutely, we would love to have you back on. Uh, we can't wait to hear more about the book and the DVDs and the movies and everything else you're working on. Thank you so much for joining us this evening, everyone. Uh, be sure to check out our page and check out Stephen Lachance. And if you haven't seen uh, Children of the Grave, <laughs> go and rent it. It's a great movie. You'll love it. Thanks so much, Stephen. Thanks, Thanks Teresa. Have a great me. night, everyone. Right. Good night, everyone. Thank you. We are America's Most Haunted. Check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Good night, everyone. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.